This episode of Kidlet These Days is sponsored by Read Harder 2021. Book Riot's annual reading challenge is back. Once again, Read Harder 2021 has 24 tasks designed to help you break out of your reading bubble and expand your worldview through books. With new genres, new authors, new points of view, the challenge will hopefully help you discover amazing books you wouldn't have otherwise picked up. Read romance by trans or non-binary authors, non-European books in translation, middle-grade mysteries, and more in this year's challenge. Go to bookriot.com slash readharder to get the full challenge task list and to check out the prizing for those who complete the challenge. That's bookriot.com slash readharder. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Kidlit These Days, a Book Riot podcast. At Kidlit These Days, we are your Kidlit connoisseurs, pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Matthew Winner, alongside Nicole Young, and we are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, librarians, and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We're recording on January 17th, 2021, and on today's episode, we are taking time to acknowledge International Holocaust Remembrance Day on January 27th, or known simply as Remembrance Day. We're also going to talk about current awareness of the Holocaust among millennials and Gen Z individuals, as well as anti-Semitic images and language present at the January 6th insurrection event at the Capitol in Washington, D.C. But first, how about we welcome our co-host, Nicole Young. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Nicole. Hi, how are you? How are you you? doing? (laughs) I'm all right. I'm all right. Things are, uh, you know, things are things. Um, it's bizarre to me that it's been two weeks since we talked, and whenever you and I take a break from talking, stuff goes oh, down in the world. There's an attempted coup slash insurrection at the Capitol. There's like everything has happened in the past two weeks. Um, yeah. I... Yeah, it's been a wild thing. Also, you're going through the intro, and my birthday is on the 27th, and I have ne- I never knew that the Holocaust Remembrance Day was on the same day as my birthday until you said that. Um, so, yeah. I don't think I connected that we were like birthday week buddies. My birthday is on January 24th. Are we? I didn't even know that. (laughs) We share the week. That's super cool. I love that. I love that too. Well, happy early birthday, Nicole. Happy early birthday, Matthew. (laughs) We, um, we've been trying to mix stuff up around the house here, Mm -hmm. um, by going out and finding local trails. And so that I I was texting you prior to starting here that we're, we're out hiking. Mm -hmm. Uh, we went on a trolley trail, um, just past our house in old Ellicott city. Uh, that was really nice to just be out in the cold and my daughter was walking on top of logs and my son was hopping over the stream and it was just nice to be outside even though you know it's getting colder for us on the east coast here I know you know that as well yeah I feel like I have really come to relish my time in nature in this past year of of you know wildness um I'm just like (laughs) when I can get out of the house and be amongst trees and you know just flora and fauna it's so beautiful and I think also as a counter to all of the wild events that happened in the past few weeks. I just, I bet just being in that kind of 
calming environment, the vastness of nature. I bet there's something so soothing about it. I, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love your use of the word wild and talking about getting out into nature as well. It is wild. But you're right. There, there's something about being in nature and just stopping and listening to how noisy nature is. I feel like in our house, things are pretty quiet, which then unless, you know, the kids are doing whatever, but that then leads my mind to just be with itself. And that's a hard place sometimes to be, mm-hmm. but to to be out in nature and to listen for birds and listen to the water going over the rocks and, and all the different things that you can hear, it really does take you someplace else and make you feel like Make you feel like you're small in a great big world. And that, that's not a bad feeling. Yeah. the And reminding you that there's like things here that have been here way before you ever got here and they will be here way after you're gone. And that even though these events are, are huge and important and we I think it's so great that we're contextualizing what happened at, at in Washington in the context of the Holocaust. All of those things are true, but also, right, the world will continue. Right. Um, and there is a vast world outside of the the things that we are seeing every day. And I I love that as a reminder. Um, yeah, I'm so glad that you, when you posed, proposed this topic, I just thought it was such an appropriate one, given the events of the past two weeks. Um, right. I think talking about the Holocaust and and even the day of remembrance. And I lived in DC for a really long time and often went to the Holocaust museum. Like when people would come to town, they'd want to go. And it's such a place, um, such a carefully curated place. Um, but one that is designed to help us remember the more difficult truths of our past. Right. Um, and I've thought about that so much this week and the fact that, you know, when we forget the harder parts of our history, things like January 6th, can happen and us, you know, we're surprised. Oh, well, this is something like this has never happened or, oh my gosh, I can't imagine this in the United States. But when we start understanding the kinds of histories um, that marginalized people across the world and in this country have faced, then we're better able to contextualize the events and and hopefully prevent things like that, like the Holocaust and other atrocities from occurring in the future. So I'm just so glad we're having this topic. Yes. Um, I think it's such an important one. Um, at this time that we're in, we're seeing this kind of rise of uh, populism in the form of like a desired fascism. We're seeing this, like we've, you and I have talked about xenophobia on this podcast before. There's all of these really negative trends on the rise. And it's important for us to know where in history they have stood before so that we can learn the lessons and um, and do something different this time, you know? Yeah. I have a robust interview with author and librarian Susan Cousel that I want to tell you about in just a moment. Why don't we first uh, do our next sponsor, and then let's talk about this this topic, and let's talk a little bit more deeply. Um, I'll look forward to that. Do you mind sharing the next sponsor? Sure. This episode is sponsored by Bookmarks, a customizable journal to record your reading life. Meet your new reading buddy, an all-in-one spot to record everything and anything book-related. Inspired by bullet journaling, Bookmarks offers ideas for setting up a multitude of book tracking pages with a mix of fill-in prompts, charts, lists, and plenty of dot grid pages to customize. To help expand your literary horizons, the journal also includes a section of recommended reading lists compiled by Book Riot. Use bookmarks to jot down what you're currently reading, what's on your nightstand, your favorite quotes, new vocabulary words, memorable characters, your reviews of recent reads, and more. A clever bonus, the back flap has a punch-out bookmark. Go to bookriot.com slash bookmarks tracker for your copy. 
Well, as said, we've got a really wonderful guest today. She has a a brand new picture book uh, out this week, actually, called The Passover Guest, illustrated by Sean Rubin. She's a synagogue librarian. She's a book buyer for an independent bookstore. Susan Cousel has been also a friend to me for a very long while, and I'm grateful for that. Um, We approached her for this episode because of her being so knowledgeable but also because she served on the Sydney Taylor Book Award for so many years. And in doing so, she's she's not only seen a lot of books uh, centered around Jewish representation, but she specifically has also seen a lot of Holocaust books. Currently, one in two books they read for the award, books that are submitted for consideration uh, for the Sydney Taylor Award, are set during the Holocaust or are dealing with something along um, in the topic of the Holocaust, which is just staggering. Mm. Um, and yet, as she was sharing with me um, during the conversation, and I, I, I um, wanted to make sure that we would link this in our show notes and that I break out a little bit more of the details. It was just a study that came out, uh, the first ever 50 state study on the Holocaust knowledge of um, from... An organization called the Claims Conference. Uh, They're an organization whose mission has been to provide a measure of justice for Jewish Holocaust victims and provide them with the best possible care. So this survey was of millennials and Gen Z individuals. And the results were that there's a disturbing number of millennials and Gen Z individuals who can't name a single concentration camp or ghetto believe that two million or fewer Jews were killed, and a concerning percentage of them believe that Jews caused the Holocaust. Mm. So uh, this analysis went state by state, um, found that uh, nationwide, nearly 20% of millennials and Gen Z in New York and across the country feel that Jews caused the Holocaust. They calculate Holocaust knowledge using a a score um, made up of the three criteria. One, uh, that these millennial and Gen Z adults uh, have, quote, definitely heard about the Holocaust. Two, can name at least one concentration camp, death camp, or ghetto. And three, know that six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. And... (sighs) in a fact that I think would be indicating how disturbing the times were in, 59% of the respondents indicated that they believe something like the Holocaust could happen again. Now, what I want to point out before throwing to the interview with Susan is as I was reading this and she does not talk about, I, I was really digging deep into this information and just really shook up by the results and thought about my own place in this and what do my children know and what do my students know and on and on, the the kids of our listeners and our listeners themselves, Mm -hmm. the states with the highest Holocaust knowledge scores are, and I'm just going to read them, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Massachusetts, Maine, Kansas, Nebraska, Pennsylvania, Idaho, Iowa, and Montana the highest Holocaust knowledge scores. The highest score of those was something like 40%. Mm. Not a per- not a percentage I would brag about. Not at but, all. But that's the highest scoring locations. The lowest scoring locations are Alaska, 
Delaware, Maryland, New York, Georgia, Hawaii, Louisiana, Florida, Mississippi, and Arkansas. That is really hard information to take. Mm -hmm. When I read my own state there and I think of what a significant Jewish population we have in this state, Mm -hmm. and yet, generally speaking, we are the lowest performing for Holocaust knowledge of, you know, in our nation, not the lowest of the nation, but in that lowest performing group. It's awful. It's mm-hmm. awful, awful to hear that. I am so shocked by New York, actually. I, um, that's just, it's so surprising to me. Um, yeah. We looked at what was happening on January 6th at this insurrection. I'm sure you've been listening to commentary, footage, social media, many, many resources, Nicole. I've been, uh, the Washington Post did a wonderful um sort of a play-by-play of four hours of coverage of the insurrection um, from the perspective of voices that we weren't really hearing from, from the the Capitol Police and the Washington Police that were coming in from um, different news agencies and, and reporters. And it was just, it was fascinating to hear that. Um, I was also watching a video from Insider News uh, where they were looking through hours of footage from the Capitol riot to decode the symbols mm-hmm. that Trump supporters brought with them. Um, and to see that there were so many anti-government establishments that were that were represented through the symbols that mm-hmm. people were wearing, not just QAnon, not just Proud Boys, but many, many, many more. I think it was something like 40 or 44 different symbols wow. represented ongoing throughout these crowds. Um, it's, it's really scary. Um, and a lot of that symbols and Susan and I talked directly about this, um, had a lot to do with anti-Semitism. Yeah. Had a lot to do with white nationalism. There were, there were, you know, images of people carrying banners or wearing shirts that said six million wasn't enough. Mm. So with all that has been going on in our nation, regarding hate crimes against Jewish individuals and Jewish places of worship. Um, And with Remembrance Day coming, uh, we thought it was important for us to take time to center our Jewish brothers and sisters, to talk about strong Holocaust literature and what literature might be overused or misinformed and time to be updated in classrooms and in read-alouds. And also just... Uh, lifting up places where we can do a great amount of good, but where sometimes harm is caused to children. And so we want to make sure that we are just thinking about what we're about to talk about with an open mind, um, but also knowing that we've all got a lot of work to do. I'm saying that myself. I know that I have work to do, and I do it by listening to people that are different from me, listening to other people's experiences, hearing them, bearing witness to them, and trying to move forward alongside them. So with that in mind, it is my great honor to introduce Susan Cousel, our guest today. Susan has turned a life as a book lover into many careers as an author, synagogue librarian, and a book buyer for an independent bookstore. She has served on lots of book award committees, including the Caldecott Medal and Sidney Taylor Book Award Committees. 
Her debut book, The Passover Guest, illustrated by Sean Rubin, was recently published with Neil Porter Books' Holiday House. She lives in the Washington, D.C. area. Please welcome Susan Cousell. Hi, my name is Susan Cousell. I am a synagogue librarian and a buyer for a bookstore. And I have been for the past several years on the Sydney Taylor Committee, including as the chair. And my pronouns are she, her, hers. Susan, welcome to Kidlet These Days. We're so glad to have you on the show. Oh, and also, congratulations on your debut picture book, which just released as of as of um, this episode airing. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for this uh, the wonderful uh, conversation that we had with uh, you and illustrator Sean Rubin and myself on the Children's Book Podcast. That was really a delight. Yay! You know, I love the Passover guest. It's so wonderful. I am sharing it with everybody. But boy, we, we could have filled hours with conversation <laughs> about that gorgeous book. Uh, I'm really grateful Aww. you wrote it. Thank um, you so much. No, oh, of course. So, of course, you are a person that comes to mind a lot for me, um, just as a friend, as a person in the children's literature world, um, and quite frankly, as someone who I go to to understand how to talk about issues affecting the Jewish community, uh, to understand better what books are um, reliable, reputable, beautiful um, in terms of representation of Jewish culture and identity, uh, with you having served on the Sidney Taylor um, and our paths crossing because of that, you are a person that's on my mind a lot, my friend. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm glad we're talking again. Well, I love talking with you, Matthew. It's always so much fun. And I was counting, and this is the fifth time I have been on one of your podcasts. So thank you for <laughs> continuing to invite me. Um, it's just such a delight to have uh, these conversations with you. Didn't... um. Steve Martin or somebody make a funny sketch on SNL as being part of the fives or nines or something club, whatever. I think it was was about fives and like Tom (laughs) Hanks was on it. And I love that. The five timers club. Oh, that's so wonderful. Only you're in a group on, on the podcast with me with like, Mike Carrado and wonderful people like that. Oh, I love Mike Carrado. So wonderful. Well, um, I digress. Today we're talking as, as you know, about, Uh, Holocaust remembrance and about honoring our friends and family in the Jewish community and about what things we get wrong and how to make right among many other things. And um, our mutual friend Heidi Rabinowitz brought up that you had a fabulous presentation for NCTE before we all went into quarantine and everything got turned upside down about um, teaching the Holocaust and, and specifically Holocaust kid lit books in the classroom. Can you tell me a little bit more about this presentation? Yes. Well, um, the plan was to do it uh, with uh, authors Lisa Weimer and Catherine Locke. And we were going to do a, a presentation um, about uh, Holocaust literature that is um, appropriate for classrooms because we have been finding lately that um, there's a lot of books that are taught that are um, that don't necessarily uh, teach the Holocaust in maybe the the best or most productive way. And the presentation idea started uh, a few years ago. And you'll forgive me, this part's a little hard to talk about, but um, 
I think it's important. And um, this is what started me on this path was uh, my son in high school was assigned Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler for um, his English and history class. And it was excerpts from the book. And um, it, as a Jewish student, it upset him so deeply. I mean, he can barely talk about it. And this was a ninth grade student who was sobbing in class. And uh, it was a few years ago, and he remembers word for word what exactly was said in those excerpts. And it wasn't done to be painful or harmful or anything. It was done uh, the, to teach about propaganda. And, um, but, uh, but the end result was, was really terrible. And, um, I mean, if you, if you ever looked at the words of Mein Kampf, it, it, it's just, there are no words. Um, and, um, and I, and I really, uh, don't want to, you know, mention the teachers or the school or anything because they handled it wonderfully. And, uh, I talked to the principal and they, they did an excellent job of, of dealing with it and being respectful. So, um, but, but just that incident, what that stirred up in my son and, and for, for me, uh, because it wasn't only the Jewish students in class, of course, right? It was right. everyone else in that class who were reading those words. And even if you're showing, if even if you're saying this is propaganda, you've just handed these words, these bullets, to all these other people, and you don't know what they think or feel or how they're going to use that ammunition. Correct. It it makes me think, and I hope you don't mind me drawing the comparison as I work through this thought here, but it, it, it makes me think about our our interest in our centering black pain in children's literature. And I wonder if in some way those two are in an awful way, in a way that we should be reflecting on, if those two are somehow connected, this fascination with atrocity, with with horror, with pain, with suffering, as a means of saying, look how horrible that was. Let's never make sure we do that again. But without the without the consideration that this could and does cause real pain and re-traumatization of individuals in that class, or as you say, it weaponizes those words or incidents or language for other people to use against people in that class. Yeah. I mean, my son um, talked about leaving the classroom uh, so he could continue crying. And when he uh, got to the, got to the bathroom, um, there were swastikas in the bathroom. Susan, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, and again, the school has been really great. They painted over the swastikas immediately. They dealt with it. They found culprit. I mean, they did. They did what needed to be done. So I'm not blaming the school in any way. Um, but um, yeah, it, it, when you when you talk about uh, 
centering pain, something that we talk about in the Jewish community a lot is that, um, and, and I, it, it, well, first off, it is very important to teach the Holocaust. And we're going to talk in a minute of, uh, that not, you know, that there is less awareness of the Holocaust right now, uh, nationally. And that really, I absolutely want the Holocaust to be, um, taught. There are lessons to be learned from it. And, and I, and I don't want to back away from that. At the same time, it, it is feeling like that is the only time students encounter Jewish people in the classroom is in Holocaust books, that that is all that is being taught. And um, when we look at um, the number of books being submitted for Sidney Taylor, when we look at, when I look at as a buyer for my synagogue, as a buyer for Jewish books, um, adult and children's, we are looking at the books being published at it being about 50% Holocaust books. One in two books about the Jewish experience, both adult and children, are about the Holocaust. And it is, of course, an important time. It is, of course, something we must talk about, but it can't be all that we're talking about. Um, we have two books. Sorry, I am, I am scribbling yeah. note after note. That's, yeah, we we've we've gone through WorldCat and mm, back that up, and yeah. um, but but it's backed up by the books coming into my library. It's backed up by the reviews I see. It's backed up um, by the books on the Sydney that books that come uh, that are submitted to Sydney Taylor, and and I we've been seeing this for years and years and years. Um, and it doesn't seem to be going down. And, and so on the one hand, you say, well, not you, but one would say, um, well, it's great. It's being talked about and discussed. But on the other hand, even that 50 percent, there's a lot of books that are being told in. I don't know how to say it, but in difficult ways. Right. So they're about the Holocaust, but they're and they're about. Jews, but they're not really about Jews, right? They're about people rescuing Jews. So that story is centered. They're about Jews cowering in the attic, but they're really about the person downstairs saving the Jew. Um, they're about the camps, but they're not about all the Jews who stood up and fought back. Mm. Um, so there are so many other narratives and, um, and, and we can also go over there's, I have a, I have read, from being on Sydney Taylor, I have read hundreds and hundreds of Holocaust books in the last five years, and um, they fall into certain categories. But we're only seeing a couple of those categories. We're not seeing the full range of um, within this genre. So, so yes, it, great, we're seeing Holocaust books, but we're not seeing what we could be seeing. Do you think that that, in part, is is a failure of, of messaging that authors authors feel compelled to write this one kind of story, but don't have someone pushing saying, you know, we could really use this other angle of this story more. Is it because editors are not catching things? We're, we talk a lot on this show about what it means to be an own voices editor or what it means to to have eyes on a book where where it's telling a very specific story that's outside of your experience 
how best to serve that story to make sure it's told in the best way it can. I'm wondering where where to help where to help strengthen Jewish literature in your in your perspective. What do you think, Susan? Uh well I think I mean I don't think we can put the blame on any one no. person, right? Because I, I think that as as you know, Matthew, from being involved with the industry that um that it's a collaboration, right? It's it's not a writer writing, right? There's a writer writing and an agent selling and an editor acquiring and designer designing and an illustrator illustrating. Like it's not it's not that one person made this decision and that's it and that's right. the end. Um, because because it is so so major. Um, that you know <laughs> that um it's so much bigger than this um you know um well let me talk about some of the different types of books maybe that'll help yeah help um, help me understand that and I, I you know yeah. one of the other reasons too why I was so excited to have you on was was the very <laughs> act that by talking about the things we we hope to see in the world in publishing in what authors are are going for we very much could have this episode heard by one such writer who hadn't thought to write it that way. So I know that there is tremendous power for all of us in talking about any issue. It's important that we talk. So yeah, thank you. Please illuminate for me uh, some of these different categories or or, or ways to tell this story. Yeah. So, um, so first off, there's to me the most common story which um, <laughs> the way it feels like every book starts, which is in Poland, 1939. Um, they all start in Poland, 1939. Um, I mean, not all, but just 95%. And um, which, which kind of goes, they go from, here's my regular life, to then there are restrictive laws, then there's the ghetto, then there's the camps. And... Um, we're starting to see some after the camp stories, but um, but typically the this first category of stories they they typically end in the camps. Um, there is uh, the category that I want to see, and I, again we're starting to see more of it. I mean, this the the whole genre of the Holocaust is beginning to change, so I'm not trying to knock. Um, or the writers that are doing this. And I'm certainly not saying these books don't exist because they absolutely do. Um, the books that I love seeing are the resistance books um, that, that show this other side that a lot of people don't know. Um, Jews fighting back. Um, there are books where people are hiding, right? So they're hiding in the forest, they're hiding in the cellar, they're hiding wherever, wherever they're hiding. Usually they're, um, they're being assisted with that. Uh, there are books where people are passing as, as Christian. Um, there's a lot of books, uh, particularly written for children where children are hiding in, um, convents. Hmm. Um, or they're hiding with a family that's Christian and they have to memorize a lot of Christian facts and things okay. like that. Um, there are emigration books where they are leaving wherever they are to go to someplace else. They're going to America. They're going to Israel. Sometimes they're going 
sometimes they made a mistake and they're going from Germany to Amsterdam and then you're screaming in your head, no, don't go in there, you know, but, um, but sometimes they're doing that. Um, there are books that are focused on specific events. So instead of kind of showing more of a life story, they show the Warsaw Ghetto, they show Kristallnacht, they show the Kinder Transport, they show, you know, one of the famous ships. So they show something very, they zero in on an, on an event. Um, there are, there are righteous Gentile books, which are much appreciated. So if you think of righteous Gentile, you think of I, probably the most famous at this point is Oscar Schindler. So this is somebody who's okay. not Jewish, but saved Jewish people. And these are great stories. They're interesting stories, but they're not stories of the Jewish experience. Right. So while they are Holocaust stories and they certainly can be represented that way, and they do contribute. They're just if you're saying that you're teaching a Jewish experience, these aren't the best books to do that. But these people are incredible and amazing and should be recognized and appreciated. Um, and then there's uh, and there's camps that uh, there excuse me, there's books that happen in like displaced persons camps, like which I said, which are starting to see just a little bit more of. And then um, there's books that I think are very important now, which are continuing impact books. So books about refugees, books about survivors, books about children of survivors, and books that I think are very important now, uh, grandchildren of survivors. And, um, and then in addition to all these categories, it's very important how the story is told, right? Is it, is it fiction? Did we make somebody up? Is it based on somebody is it nonfiction? Was it, you know, research meticulously? Is it memoir? Is it somebody telling their own story? Um, often we're seeing a lot of memoir right now written by both survivors and uh, who are writing, feeling that they're running out of time. They're running right now. And we're also seeing memoirs written by uh, children and grandchildren and um, and then biography and uh and I think it's interesting to see who the biographies are about, which we can talk about as well. But now I've talked for a long time and now it's your turn. <laughs> that's, that's it's really wonderful to hear how things break down and where there might be space to tell more stories and knowing that, that everything can, if written well, can, can serve value of educating individuals and, and, and illuminating stories and, and atrocities and uh, hoping to ensure that we recognize patterns and don't repeat things and, and honor those that we lost and, and, and just the full scope that you laid out. I really appreciate, Susan. Thank you for that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's a quick overview. If you look at it, because I'm a solo librarian, um, I do all my own cataloging oh, yeah. and if you look at my cataloging for the Holocaust, it is many, 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 uh, you know, I have 30, 40, 50 categories for the Holocaust. So that, that was just a, a quick, uh, primer, but, um, but there are many different aspects of the Holocaust, um, that, that it can, that it can be told in. And, and I was talking about biography and biographies, tend to there well there's a lot of them about righteous gentiles um 
that seems to be a very large category right now. And then there are some other famous people. Um, but the overwhelming, I mean, like we're, we're talking so many, I, I can't even put into words, uh, biography are about Anne Frank. Oh, okay. I mean, I, dozens and dozens and dozens. And, um, and what happens, it's not just like biographies about Anne Frank, but Matthew, you know, all these, um, series biographies, right? Where, you know, so-and-so puts out, you know, six famous people. And she's one of them. She gets to be the one Jew. She's the one Jew. Although in the last like five years, we've gotten Ruth Bader Ginsburg about half the time, but it's, it's Einstein, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Anne Frank. Uh, sometimes we get Harry Houdini. Sometimes we get Sandy Koufax or Hank Greenberg, but Anne Frank, um, over and over and over and over and over and over. I mean, to the board book level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, there, there is no, uh, no baby that I want to talk about Anne Frank with <laughs> as, as wonderful and interesting as she was. Um, it doesn't go to that level for me. So I want to get to our book talk segment in just a yeah. moment, but before we do that, I want to tie in what Nicole and I talked about at the top of the show, because not only were we planning this episode because of Holocaust remembrance and because of the importance of talking about these books, um, but also because we had this big event happen in our capital, this insurrection where there was an awful lot of, of hate um, and and violence and terrorism on extremely public display on people recording themselves talking, bragging about what they did, really what led um, many people on social media. And then now the FBI to be able to positively identify so many individuals, but I want to bring it up with you because if you don't mind me bringing it up with you, because we've talked off record about just how, how much anti-Semitism was also represented there, not just um, that we saw the imagery of nooses, and we did, and we saw imagery of KKK, and we did, but we also saw lots and lots of white supremacist and Nazi images, and that that is a very scary, alarming, re-traumatizing thing to have had happen, and I want to... I think just acknowledge that here so that um, it can hold space as we prepare to talk about the books that we're talking about, knowing that talking about difficult subjects is not a one book solution when you are a parent or a teacher or whomever has the great privilege of being in front of young children, but that um, there are many, many sides and facets to be talking about when we talk to children about what's going on in the world. Yeah, that was a hard event. Um, I, as you know, live near the D.C. area, so it was uh, near my house. (laughs) So it was a very hard event. And, um, and, yeah, the, the, I mean, seeing, you know, someone wear a shirt saying that six million weren't enough, I, I, I mm. can't understand that. I can't take that in. And, um, you know, we're, we just, 
it feels like we just keep seeing this over and over. I mean, it was just a year ago where there were a lot of Jews being killed around um, Hanukkah and two years ago where there was a shooting inside a synagogue. And it's uh, it's very difficult um, t- that this is the reality Um I, you know, I've, I've said this in other places, but I don't know if we've talked about it, that, um, you know, I don't remember what it's like to, you know, not have a guard at the door of my place of worship. Hmm. And um, I, I don't know what that's like. And, you know, it feels like all we do in my... Uh, place of work which is a synagogue is talk about security i mean we do a lot more but i can't imagine that people are everyone else is doing that at every staff meeting um maybe they don't need to i mean i understand security is has risen everywhere but somehow um i don't know if everyone has a sheet next to their phone about what to do in case of a bomb threat like i do we also know that in 2020 that the majority we have the data that the majority of the hate crimes in 2020 were directed at the Jewish community this is this is this is information that is i don't think covered enough in m- mainstream media but it but it is fact that that these things are happening and we're not talking about them and we're still doing things like sent during the Anne Frank biography instead of talking about how, hey, there there are people <laughs> there are people in your neighborhood <laughs> that are Jewish. Yeah. I mean it's not I, and, a, a historic people, it's people living now. I I mean thank mm. you for bringing that up. I was actually gonna mention it. So in the two thousand nineteen FBI data, sixty percent of religious hate crimes were committed against Jews. And um, and the the number underneath that is uh, anti-Muslim crimes at 13 percent. And that's just religious crimes, religious hate crimes. But um, in terms of all hate crimes, Jews are um, the victims of one in seven hate crimes and they only make up two percent of the population. These are sobering statistics. And um, and I know uh, after break we're going to get into some some challenging books as well. But I want to say how grateful I am that there are good books that you're here to share as someone who reads hundreds, <laughs> if not thousands, <laughs> of books. <laughs> that these are books that well, that that you feel. Um, are good and important and are are more where we want to to be leading our 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 students and our our education around and our teachers to to lead classes around so I appreciate that susan uh let me if you don't mind share 
our next sponsor. Before we get into those books, we'll give people a chance to to uh, get ready to fill their <laughs> their shopping carts <laughs> with books. We always put all the books listed in in our show notes. But um, that said, uh, this episode of Kidlet these days is sponsored by Lemonade Code by Jared Pratt and Jay Odin. Boy's super genius Robbie Reynolds needs cash if he's going to fund his ultimate and top secret project. And that's why he's opening a lemonade stand complete with a self-designed automatista that can make any flavor of lemonade your heart desires. Unfortunately, Robbie isn't the only one in the lemonade hustle. Daphne Duree, his new across-the-street neighbor, has her own setup going. And something about her lemonade is resonating with people in ways Robbie's can't. Before the week is over, Robbie and Daphne are in a full-on lemonade war, one that Robbie is quickly losing. So thanks again for sponsoring our show. That's Lemonade Code by Jared Pratt and Jay Odin. And now it is with great pleasure that I bring us to our book-talking segment. You know that all the books we talk about will be uh, able to be found at our show notes at bookriot.com slash listen. Go to Kidlet these days, find our episode. We'll have everything listed there for you. If you have books that you also want to add to, or if you want to talk to Susan over social media, I know, Susan, you exist online and we can find you. <laughs> Susan, I, what? I, I have a very, a very <laughs> sneaky Twitter handle, oh, which Susan, is at handle? Susan Cusell. <laughs> Say S-U-S-A-N-K-U-S-E-L. And we are hashtag Kidlet these days. So you combine those powers and we can share a whole <laughs> bunch of awesome books. But Susan, I am turning over the reins to you today today to share with us some books that you think we should be paying attention to, and maybe even some others that it's time for us to retire from our practices or from our, our read-alouds so that we can uh, make room for, for more appropriate stories. All right. Um, let's see. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's. Um, I do want to say that um, I do think there are still valuable stories to be told, and and I and if you are writing a book on the Holocaust, um, I do think that has a lot of value, and and there and there is um, there is an audience. I just I just don't. What I was saying before the break is I just don't want it to be one in two. Like if it could be one in three or one in four, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I'd like to see some other Jewish stories, but it, as I said, I do I do not want it to go away. I do want there to be books on the Holocaust because, um, you know, um, as I alluded to earlier, that there was a survey done recently, and uh, among um, millennials and Generation Z, and sixty three percent of those surveyed did not know that six million. Jews were murdered in the Holocaust, and over half of those thought the death toll was fewer than two million. And um, and there are some other really disturbing uh, statistics in that survey, and and Matthew is going to share that in the show notes, right? Absolutely, I'll have yeah. it linked. Um, so we'll we'll have more information about that. But so so I do think it is important. Um, I wanted to start with uh, a book that is an older book, but it's a book that I've loved for just years. And, um, and so why not? Right. <laughs> um, it's called the journey that saved curious George. 
and it's uh, The True Wartime Escape of Margaret and H.A. Ray. And I love this book. It's not only is it about um, the creators of Curious George, but it's, you know, they um, they were German Jews, and it was how how they got to America. And it's uh, full of uh, ingenuity. They built their own bicycle. They, you know, it um, it was a harrowing but successful journey. It's illustrated, um, you know, which is good for kids at different reading levels. And it's just, it's a fun, interesting story. And you, and also you're kind of wondering about they're bringing with them on this trip out of, um, well, they actually leave from Paris because they've, they've gotten to Paris, but they're bringing with them on this trip, um, the original manuscript of Curious George. And, uh, that has a tough time making Making it to America as well. And so that's, it's just so much fun to read. I know that book. I like that one. That's a good call. Yeah. Um, so I like that, the, nice. you know, cause it doesn't always have to be sad and depressing and, you know, sure. So I really like this book that came out last year. It's called games of deception, the true story of the first U S Olympic basketball team at the 1936 Olympics in Hitler's journey, Germany by Andrew Marinus. And what's interesting about this book is that um, it's not like everybody became Nazis overnight. <laughs> right? right. And so, you know, as we were talking about earlier, you know, we're seeing some of this white supremacy in the United States. And it's a gradual process. And that's what this book shows the gradual buildup the underlying anti-Semitism, and also the 1936 Olympics, which are fascinating, um, you know, because they happened in Berlin and uh, right before World War II, and there, there's a lot to be learned about them. And, uh, and, you know, it was all about propaganda, and it's, uh, it's very readable. It's about basketball and sports, um, which is, uh, something that, uh, may draw kids in and not only about death and destruction. So, uh, yeah. I recommend that one as well. I love that book. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Isn't oh, it? Yeah. No, I thought it was great. Yeah. That got recognized by the Sydney Taylor committee. Um, oh, excellent. Yeah. Um, another one that I really like is, um, a light in the darkness, Janice Korzik, his orphans and the Holocaust. And, Janice Korsak was a very famous uh, Jewish writer who is not probably as well known today because he died in the Holocaust, but he ran an orphanage in the Warsaw Ghetto. And this is a nonfiction book that uh, tells his story. And it, this is someone that I wish there were more biographies of. And you can still read the books that Korsak wrote today. And... Um, and I think this is an important figure to learn about. And this is about Jews being brave and fighting back. Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. A light in uh, the darkness, you said, right? A light in the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. Also recognized by Sidney Taylor last year. Um, I also just in general would like to recommend the author Kathy Kaser, K-A-C-E-R. Uh, Kathy is a Canadian author and she has just written – 
I've lost count, but she is an expert at Holocaust literature, and she writes book after book um, of, of really well-done books about the topic, and she's an expert on the subject, and um, she writes for different age levels, and uh, I, I highly recommend her body of work. Nice. We'll link a bunch of her stuff, and I'll make sure I'll, I include her website, too. Yeah, that would be great. Um, and I would also really like to recommend The Assignment by Lisa Weimer, which came out this year. And uh, this is kind of um, links in a little bit to what I was talking about with my son getting a difficult assignment. Um, I, you know, with the, well, I don't want to keep saying the name of the book, but, um, but, uh, yeah. What, but um, but this book shows that even a well-meaning teacher can make a mistake. Um, so this is about students getting an inappropriate uh, assignment relating to the Nazis. And so it shows that even a well-meaning teacher can make a mistake and also that they can give, admit they're wrong. And this, it's the students that stand up and it shows the danger of poorly planned assignments. And I think that this is a really important book. And Lisa personally helped me when I was struggling with uh, that book that my son was assigned with. Uh, and she she helped me figure, figure out what to do. And so this is a, a really great example of, um, I think, the kind of book that we need right now. Of, I love um, that. What agency yeah. to give the kids to, to have them... Mm -hmm be so centered in the story that's awesome i can't wait to yeah that one and, out. and actually it's based on a true story so mm. and 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 real kids so it's a it's a really inspiring thing it's very cool this is can i just break for a moment and say yeah. susan how much i am enjoying sitting here and just <laughs> listening to you talk i hope our listeners have talk the same feeling books? when nicole and i talk about books you're naming books and i'm just like i want to i want to read that one and I want to read that one. And I want to read that one. So I don't I don't mean to cut you off. I'm sure you have other things you want to share. I'm here to listen. I just want you to know that I am on board for reading all of these. <laughs> well, well, I'm I'm glad. It's like it's like I do this professionally or something. I huh? love it. Isn't it fun for librarians to talk it to other fun. librarians about books? <laughs> I love talking to you, Matthew, because it's it's so fun to talk to another librarian. And um yeah, well, well, have me on and talk about picture books. That that'll be easier to talk about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a hard topic. <laughs> I hear it. Did you have any other books you wanted to recommend before we, we, we close our time together? No, I I just wanted to talk about uh, a book that I would maybe discourage teaching. Okay. Um. And I know that it's a very beloved book and, and there's a movie and it's a bestseller. And so it's, 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 I know it. I can guess it. You can guess it. Oh, I, well, guess. Go ahead. It, is it the boy in the striped pajamas? It is Matthew. Look at that. I've been doing wow, my homework. Good, man. How about that? As soon as you said the movie adaptation, I was like, oh, I bet it's that one. <laughs> um, wh why do you think it is? And then I'll tell you why. <laughs> um, Gosh, it's been a long time since I read it or since I even heard someone talk about it. I feel like this is the one about the the kid like runs off into the like the, like the backyard of wherever he yeah. is and and it the backyard sort of backs up against a fence of a camp. And from what I recall, it's sort of 
it sort of treats those in the camp as as if they are in fact animals, as if it's like a zoo that we're like visiting these these lesser thens that are behind this. It, it, I remember it just being peculiar in that way. Yeah, I think that you and I didn't mean to just put you on the spot or no. anything, but I, it's, I am I remembering they, the story right? It's a, it's been a yeah. long time. Yeah, you, I think you've described it really well, and and I mean even the title, right? It, the boy in the striped pajamas, like he's in a prison uniform. <laughs> a prison uniform, correct? Yeah, he's not in striped pajamas. I, you know, and it's not Auschwitz. It's out with it. it it's um it's just not a realistic portrayal of Jews and Jews are passive and the focus is really on the German boy. And if you're going to, it, it's not about, is this a good story or a bad story? It's about, we're teaching it. We're introducing um, to kids uh, you, what um, they know about the Holocaust. And so this isn't a great book to introduce to say, here are the facts of this event. Yes. Anytime Um, that we have one book to choose from, we're going to teach this one book. I think we, we have to be really careful about what we choose and not make the decision based on, well, this is the book I've always taught, or they've got a really great discussion guide already written for this book, (laughs) or all of the things that, that tend to be go-tos, or this was the book that was read to me when I was younger or whatever. Those are all, Well, I mean, and and as I said earlier, it's not like there are no books to choose from on the Holocaust. (laughs) (laughs) So if you need a book, um, you know, a a Jewish librarian, you know, or, you know, someone from the Association of Jewish Libraries are are happy or the Holocaust Museum, they're happy to find it for you. Yeah, PJ Um, Library also makes like great um, book discussion guides as well. They do, but they don't do Holocaust books. They don't do Holocaust books. They don't but, do but ho- just thinking, they came to mind when thinking of But they do resources. excellent discussion guides. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, it, so it's just, um, I think what's uh, really important to think about is when and how we're teaching Holocaust books. So... Um, author Catherine Locke has made this point, and I think it's a really good point, is that a lot of times the first time the Holocaust is ever introduced is in English class, not in history class, which is implying that like it's made up and didn't happen. And also what I have found with both of my kids is that the first time that the Holocaust books are being introduced is in fifth grade. And in in their religious school, in Hebrew school, uh, the Holocaust isn't introduced to seventh grade. And both of my fifth graders have not been ready for books on the Holocaust in fifth grade. They're just not ready to deal with it. And as Jewish kids, it's not just reading that Holocaust book. You have to explain to them what's going on. And when they read the Holocaust book, when a Jewish kid reads a Holocaust book, yeah. it's everything that's being said is being said to them, being said at them. And like, it feels like Hitler is coming for them. Mm. And so when, when you assign a Holocaust book at an early age, you have to be really careful and really thoughtful and consider whether that is really necessary. Even a book like Number of the Stars that you think might be gentle, you know, a parent like me has to explain to my Jewish kids 
what a Nazi is and who Hitler is and all of that. We have to have all those conversations. Um, and I realized we were very privileged to be able to wait till fifth grade to have it, but I'd like to wait a little longer. Well, uh, I appreciate Susan that you not only gave us so much to think about in terms of, uh, how we are making these decisions and how we are centering the events of the Holocaust and the importance and the weight of them and the magnitude of the Holocaust and and the lives lost, um, but also books that are doing really important work for um, telling the story a different way or with a different bit of agency for children or or just bringing a new voice to fold. I appreciate you coming on, Susan. I always value our time together. I'm glad more people get to hear your voice through oh. Kid Lit these days. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you. I, it's it's such a pleasure to be here, even though we're talking about a difficult topic. Well, we'll have to make sure we have you on again uh, to talk about anything Something else Something fun. All. Yeah. Um, books. And I, How about books? I, books would be a fun well, I can topic. I can talk about books uh, forever, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> well, thank you again, Susan. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. And thank you, Susan Cousel, for that wonderful interview. Thank you, Nicole, for being alongside me today as we talk about these difficult topics. And thank you all, listeners, for joining us today. As always, we would love your feedback on this podcast episode, and we always appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. When you do that, you help other people find us. You can find me, Matthew Winner, at Matthew Winner on Twitter. And you can find me, Nicole Young, on Twitter at IttyBittyNY. Thanks to Dr. Baker for sound editing on this episode. If you have a story idea, reach out to us on social media using hashtag KidLitTheseDays or email us at KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com. We would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you would like to hear next on the show. May your coming days be storied, and may the good stories keep on coming. Keep on coming.